Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to be going through the Bible again, and uh, we'll be in Ecclesia, uh, Ecclesia, Ecclesiastes uh, 8. So we're all the way up to Ecclesiastes 8. And we're re- revealing a lot of things that a lot of pastors and ministers really ought to know about Ecclesiastes 8 before they give sermons on it. I listened to a number of sermons that were online by... Uh, pastors and priests uh, who are interpreting this uh, book. Uh, they attribute the book to uh, Solomon, although some say it was written much later, uh, around 800 uh, B.C. But uh, whoever wrote it, or wrote the original, maybe rewrote it a little bit, uh, it is... Uh, it can be really confusing if you just look at the translation because it appears that the translators, there were a lot of words that were used in that book that aren't used anywhere else. And uh, it was written as, as almost uh, poetry again. A lot of patterns in the words. But it also quotes uh, or refers to other quotes that were like in Proverbs. And in other books of the Bible, uh, Jeremiah, etc., that we see that whoever was putting it together was definitely uh, making references to other texts in, in, throughout the, the whole biblical narrative. And if you don't understand that biblical narrative and the, the theme of the Bible and the principles of the Bible, you're going to misunderstand what is written in Ecclesiastes because he's, he is, it's a continuum. He's making reference to this common theme throughout the Bible, which goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and the altars of Cain and Abel, and goes all the way forward into the New Testament with the Corbin of the Pharisees, and the, the the command to Christ to not be like the governments of the Gentiles. And everybody says, well, Jesus wasn't political, but yet he's saying to his followers, to people who are going to think of themselves as Christians, to not be like the governments of the other nations. That's what Gentiles means. It means other nations. Like I said, uh, Christians were Gentiles to the Gentiles because Rome had its system of self-government or government. It wasn't self-government anymore. It had once been a republic, but it devolved into a democracy, an indirect democracy at that. And then that democracy, of course, ushered in a socialist state, and that socialist state ushered in totalitarian rulers and oppression, and uh, uh, Levin was again on the menu. Those of you who have listened a long time know 
that leaven has nothing to do with yeast. The leaven of the Pharisees has to do with cruelty and oppression. And the leaven that we were to get out of our nation, according to Exodus, you can go back and listen to our audios on Exodus at Preparing You, and do a whole study of Exodus. But when they talk about getting the leaven out, we have an article on leaven. The same word for leaven is the word for cruelty and oppression. And leads to anguish amongst the people. Where the the powers that be, that are in place usually because of the sloth of the people, their lack of attending to what Jesus calls the weightier matters... So, you know, that was, that's a question I put to a lot of these same pastors and priests across the nation who give these sermons on Ecclesiastes and other books of the Bible. I said, well, what, what did Jesus list as the weightier matters? And none of them, none of them to this date, except for one, has been able to list them off. And of course, the one who was able to list them off had been listening to me. <laughs> or listening to our broadcast. And so he knew he, he, he had a insight into the answer. But all the others, none of them could answer the question. Whole room full of pastors. None of them could answer what Jesus listed off to his people and condemned the Pharisees for not attending to, which he said were the weightier matters which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That is the weightier matters, which is basically law, which in order to have natural law, which is divine will and God's will, to have that, you need justice, mercy, and faith. Because law without mercy defeats the purpose of the law. And law without justice is not law at all. But then when I say words like justice and mercy, I mean, what do you, what do you think? You know, uh, people think that by uh, the, the advocating that men who think they're women that are transgender, what they call transgender, that those, those men should give, be given preferential treatment as if they were women just because they think they're women. And they say, well, this is about equity. It's about creating equal rights. But not for all the women. All the women's rights are set aside. You have a locker room of of 20 girls, 20 teenage girls, and suddenly in the midst of them is a teenage boy standing naked. And they're looking like a teenage boy. Nobody cares about those 20 girls and their rights about their discomfort, about their, uh, you know, violated by this male that's in there, so modesty is out the window for them. And, of course, that's breaking down the, the, the barriers and boundaries of society. And they say, well, we need to do that for equity. But they're not doing it for equity. They're doing it to create inequality. Because the woman's right, the girl's rights that are in the, that room, they had taken second fiddle. And, and, and one of the examples of that is, you know, the girl who, I can't remember her name, but she's been very outspoken lately, who 
tied with a male swimmer. Her husband's a swimmer. She's a a, a swimmer. Uh, but her husband, she says, who, who doesn't rank high up, can easily beat her. So it, the, this male who normally ranked two, three, four hundredth in male swimmers or something, he ranked way down. He can go and uh, beat all the girls, and and he only tied her, but he got to hold the trophy. He got to take it home. She didn't get it. So what of her? That's not equality. I don't know what you think that is. He gets preferential treatment. And she gets second fiddle. So equality is the opposite of equality. But they're not thinking with reason. They're thinking with feelings. They're not thinking with facts. They don't want to hear facts. They think with feelings. Because something has changed in the world, in America. Uh, it has greatly changed in America. It's changed in many other countries. Some countries are not changing along these lines so much, but they have their other problems. But the reality is is that Ecclesiastes is telling you what's going to make that change and how that change is going to come about and, and how to avoid that change. Because that's that's what Ecclesiastes is really about, is warning you. You know, when it says vanity, vanity, all is vanity at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't really mean that all is vanity. It says all vanity is vanity. All emptiness is vanity. It talks a great deal in the different chapters about what is good. But even what is good, even when you do what is good, in itself, that can be vanity. That can be empty. If you do what is good for the wrong reason, for the wrong motivation. And anybody who studied the law, justice, mercy, and faith know that it isn't what you do that violates the law. It's what you intend to do that violates the law. Intent is critical to knowing whether or not you actually are violating the law. And of course we can go into... What is law and what is the legal system? <laughs> but that's another, well, we won't open that can of worms right now. But the, the reality is men, civil law is the law that men create for themselves, but natural law is not subject to the legislature. Now, the legislature may have an opinion about the natural law, but it doesn't change the natural law. The king cannot change the natural law. The president cannot change the natural law. That The natural law is, is the universe in which we are in. And what we often call miracles or phenomena are not really in violation of the natural law, but are in accordance with the natural law. But when men make law for themselves, they go astray often of the natural law. They try to legislate the natural law. That's what witchcraft is is that when you do these things in the physical world and try to alter the outcome of natural law, and you can't really do that, you could postpone it sometimes. You may you may seem to delay it, but it doesn't really delay it. It compounds it. It's like if you jump off 
a 40-story building, you're going to die when you hit the sidewalk. But if you jump off a 50-story building, if you go up another 10 flights and jump off, you will delay the outcome. <laughs> but, but you're going to hit harder when you get to the bottom. So, yeah, you don't really... Witchcraft does not delay the natural law. It alters the course of things. And one of the great examples of witchcraft is Macbeth. And Macbeth, you know, he meets these witches. Double, double, boil and trouble. Toil and trouble. But what they're really doing is setting him up. They give him predictions. And he, he misreads the predictions. And because he misreads the predictions, he follows a particular course. And that particular course leads to his doom. And of course, we go back to Adam and Eve. They chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it altered the course of things. They chose to decide for themselves what was good and what was evil. They chose, while they were eating of the tree of knowledge, they were not eating of the tree of life. They went off the diet that God had prescribed for them. And because of that, they altered their own thinking, their own mind. What they could see and what they couldn't see. And when the cherub, recently heard Jordan Peterson talking about the the cherub with this the, the fiery sword, the lightsaber that faced in all these different directions. It wasn't to keep you out. It was to show you the way back. But they fled the light just as they hid when they first ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and realized that they opened their eyes to know that they didn't have the authority to do that. Because nakedness is about authority and not having it. Which is why, following that theme, that trickles right down through the entire biblical text. The Levites, who ran the social safety net, the welfare system, the tables of Moses, the altars of Nisi, that were funded by free will offerings, put them in a position of power. Because they didn't have power over the people. Because all the offerings were free will offerings. But they had power over the offering. When the offering was given to them, the kidney was their portion. And we've, we've talked about that. That the same word for kidney is the word actually even translated reins. Because the kidneys are the reins of control. The, the same word that means kidney also means reins of control. So they weren't getting the kidney and the kidney fat. That wasn't their portion to eat every day. No, they were given control of the sacrifice of the people so that they could rightly divide the bread from house to house. That's That was their job. And that's power. Because you say, well, you're, I'm going to help you out, but I'm not going to help you out. But where is the real power rest? It still rests with the people because all the offerings that are given to the Levites were free will offerings. They had to be. That was a command from the beginning. They had to be voluntary free will offerings. 
So if you saw them being unfair with the reins of control of the offerings that you gave them, you could stop giving to them and give to a different guy. So the power of government was in the hands of the people. The people were the princes of that society. There was no king. But if they strayed from the principles of God, the righteousness of God, they would go back into bondage. But Moses set it up so that they could set the captive free and remain free. And this will play out as we get into Ecclesiastes uh, 10 and 11. We will see that because they'll talk about the spirit of rulers coming in and making what was not void, what was not vain, vain. And so we'll, we'll be tying all these ideas together. So even though I, I'm, I'm saying we're going to study Ecclesiastes, I'm talking about all these other things. That the altars of, you know, Cain and Abel, I don't want to create more controversy than I'm already creating, but you got Cain and Abel. When Cain goes out of the presence of God, which he's already out of the garden, because Adam and Eve were out of the garden, but because he murdered his brother, oppressed his brother into the grave, he, he left. And he got married to somebody in Nod. Who's that? <laughs> were they, were Adam and Eve the only people on earth? Or were they the only people that God breathed the spirit of God into? The spirit of his rulership into? Because it's very clear that the, the, the dragon, the, the, the serpent, was breathing a different spirit into the people by getting them to think that they could be gods and decide what was good and evil. Today, in the news, people are trying to play God. Noah Harari, he says we are gods. He doesn't believe in the God. He's a Jew in Israel, but he is the prince of the uh, World Economic Forum. and They're always having him as a guest. They, they read his book, they praise his book, and he says, we can be gods. We don't need God, we can replace God. That's what he says. I don't think so. I think that's, that is the argument of the serpent to Adam and Eve, and st- he's still making that argument to men, to us, that we can decide what is good and evil. So how do we know what is good and evil if we, we're not supposed to decide it with our feelings or with our intellect, either one? Now, with our intellect, we can point out that that doesn't make sense. But what are, how do we really know what is true? We need revelation. And where does revelation come from? It comes from the tree of life. The divine spark. Where we can actually communicate individually with God. And how do you know you're communicating with God? A lot of people think, oh, they believe in Jesus and they, they believe in God and, and they're listening to God in their heart and everything. But what they're doing doesn't seem to match up with what the biblical text says. So we have we pay lots of money to people to alter the way we perceive the biblical text. Which is why so many pastors can't get Ecclesiastes correct. 
because there's too much truth in Ecclesiastes. And some of it's hidden in the translators' efforts to make it poetic. But much of it is hidden in the fact that we are already subject to sophistry. It's like, you know, just the news program just before the show started was talking about how history is not taught in the American schools. And so we wrote, you know, I wrote the, the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. And I tell you a lot about the history in that very short book. It's a, it's a very short book. I have two fairly short books, Higher Liberty and Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, which you can read online for free. And they're telling you what they're not saying in your churches and in your political arenas. And they certainly haven't been saying in your your schools, in your social studies. They call it social studies. They didn't call it history anymore. I don't know what they're calling it now. But a lot of people think they're going to go back and find out. Well, it's a little harder to find out sometimes. And when you start finding out pieces of the truth, it may come into conflict with other pieces of the truth. This is the thing about getting back to the tree of life. That there's light shining in every direction at the tree of life. And you can't just go back and pick and choose what truth you want. You have to accept the whole truth. And as Patrick Henry said, I would know the whole truth and provide for it. I know not what course others may take, but that course there we should all take to know the whole truth. So that's what we're going to try to do. I have some notes of things that were going on in the news today during this last week. And, of course, a Daily Wire interview of Jordan Peterson of Tim Ballard and uh, Jim Caviezel uh, concerning the, the new movie that they have coming out. The Sound of Freedom, I think, is the name of the movie. Uh, but in his his interview of them, he talks about Cain and Abel and he talks about their sacrifice and he talks about... And, of course, we write about the altars of clay and stone because the same controversy of how you make that sacrifice, the means and the method of that sacrifice and the purpose of that sacrifice, the idea that God is telling people to take stuff they have of value while they're crossing the desert and having a really hard time of it and set them on altars and burn them up seems astoundingly peculiar to me. But then when I was showed, shown the meaning of Hebrew, which you can find in your concordance. I mean, what I said about the reins of control, that's, that's right in the concordance. I mean, they didn't even, a lot of, there's a lot of words they give different Strong's numbers to that are spelled identical. But in this case, they gave it one number. It means reins. It means kidney. And who are you giving control to? And that's what we're going to have to deal with in the days to come. But we'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, uh, on that Jordan Peterson interview of... Uh, Jim Caviezel and uh, Tim Ballard, he talks about the altars of Cain and the altars of uh, 
Abel and uh, tries to make some sort of distinction between the two and points out the fact that, you know, Cain is warned that he crouches uh, at, you know, the sin crouches at the door because of his altars. And so trying to figure out what is the difference between those two altars is very important in understanding Ecclesiastes. And we won't go into it all here. Maybe you'll figure it out as we go along. We're only in Ecclesiastes 8. And it gets more clear as we get into 10 and 11. Uh, because they do talk about casting your bread upon the waters. And of course that's talking about sacrifice. You have bread in your hand. And you're casting it upon the water. And they're not talking about skipping pizza or tortillas across the lake. They're talking about charity taking your bread and sharing it with others now of course you can share it with those right in your you know in your city block and your neighborhood and your friends and all that stuff but or do you have a heart that is willing to share it like the light of the sun is shared upon the whole earth to share it with other people on the other side of the planet who may never ever help you are you willing to let it go to cast your bread upon the waters in hope that it comes back to you? Because the kingdom of God operates not by force, but by faith, by hope, by charity. And charity is love. If you don't operate that way, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything will fall apart. And there will be no, there will be recompense, but there will, the rewards that you receive are the wages of unrighteousness, which are the rewards of unrighteousness. Same thing. It's the same thing in the Greek when we see it in the New Testament, but it's just spell, uh, it's just, they give you a different word. One reward in one place, wages in another. We have an article up at preparing you on both, and you can go read that. But in, Ecclesiastes 8, the first heading is, The wise man keeps the king's commandments. Now he's telling you this in 8. He's, he's already made reference to what he's talking about. But if you don't understand the whole theme of the Bible, and you won't understand the whole theme of Ecclesiastes. But he's telling you the wise man keeps the king's commandments. So what is he talking about? When he, when he says that, when he says the wise man keeps the king's commandments. Uh, who knoweth the interpretation? Who knoweth the solution? Who is wise or just, uh, thinks he is wise? That is the, where he begins in verse one, asking that, who is wise? What is wisdom? Because when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were doing it so that they would know more. They would be like God, be as wise as God. But they don't get that from eating of the tree of knowledge. They get that from eating of the tree of life. So, the only one who can really interpret what is wise is the creator. It's not the, not, not the creation. The creation may have it revealed to him but he cannot figure it out with his own intellect. And and that's one of the things when the atheist thinks there is no God, 
I can just figure it all out with my own intellect, like Sam Harris. He can figure it out with his own intellect. He doesn't need God. He reads the Bible and he says, it's ridiculous. It's nonsense. You know, I mean, it's very clear in the Bible. You know, a goat is a goat is a goat. That's what he said. (laughs) But as we just showed you, well, goat is not always a goat. An altar is not always a pile of stones. A kidney is not always a kidney. Sometimes it's the reins of control. Leaven is not always yeast. It can be cruelty and oppression. Because, and anybody who studied Hebrew would know that these words have multiple meanings. They have metaphysical meaning, they have a physical meaning. They have, you know, a philosophical meaning. They have an actual substantive reins of control. I have reins right outside the door there. Reins for the horse. Up to the bridle. They're physical. You can take them and if they're long enough, you can smack them across the saddle and make a noise and the horse will get going faster. Because they're physically affecting the environment around you. But the reins of control will affect the environment of your spirit. Because if you have the power to control something, you have a power that can corrupt. So when the Levites were given the power, the reins of control of all the offerings of the people, the first fruits offerings, the bird offerings, the drink offerings, whatever that all means, and of course we're going through that too, I've added to our drink offering page just this week. What is what what's a drink offering? Well, Rome talks about a drink offering. What is that? But we'll go into that at another time. But the point is these offerings, the way in which you present these offerings in, in society is uh the method and the means. Alters your spirit alters your mind and your heart. And if you go one way, like Cain, sin crouches at the door. Because you have the power over the offering. And you can exercise authority over the offering. That little bit of power can corrupt you. But if the offerings are free will, there's a governing effect. In society. The people will say. Wait a minute. Or they can say. Wait a minute. I gave to you. And you used what I gave you. To gain power over these other people. Just like. David was given power to be king. And he was corrupted by that power. Saul was given power to be king. And he was corrupted by that power. Saul's kingdom did not stand. Because Saul did a foolish thing. And Ecclesiastes talks about foolishness all the time. He did, what was the foolish thing he did? He forced an offering. It wasn't a free will offering. It was a forced offering. David was tempted to make a forced offering. But a woman came out and made a free will offering. And begged for her husband's life. And David repented of it. But still, David, because he had this power, 
he was corrupted. And he he stole another man's wife, stole another man's life. And and he could have had anything he wanted, but he wanted what he couldn't have. And he was corrupted by the power. He kept repenting. That was the the reason that David has said he was a man after God's own heart, because he kept repenting. He was the one who said, there is a table that should have been for your welfare, but becomes a snare. And Ecclesiastes will talk about that snare. The same snare that is talked about in Proverbs. That if sinners come and entice you to consent to something for gain, personal gain, consent not. Because the the net is spread before the burden. He is snared in that net. We are snared in the net of our own making. Paul quotes David concerning the table of welfare that is a snare and a stumbling block. And he says that we should not eat of that table. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the same thing that we're going to see talked about in Ecclesiastes. When when he says a wise man keeps the king's commandments, that's what Jesus says. If you owe the tax, you pay the tax. And you give them control over what you owe when you do that. But you've already given them control over you, which is why they can tax you, why there is a tax on your labor. There was a tax on your labor in Exodus in Genesis, when you went into bondage in Egypt. That was another thing Jordan was talking about. Where he talked about the bondage of Egypt. He did this in his symposium. Where he he said that the Pharaoh tried to make slaves of the Israelites. They already were slaves. They were slaves way back in Genesis. They were limited slavery. He couldn't take 50% of their labor but he could take 20% of their labor. So to that degree, they were slaves. It was a Corby system of bondage. They owed 20% of what they produced to the Pharaoh. But they, and they may have had some sort of taskmasters or some sort of collectors to receive those offerings. But the new Pharaoh wasn't making them a slave. He was oppressing them in their servitude. And of course that's why the Israelites were reminded to get that leaven, that oppression out of their own boundaries, of their own nation. The idea that you can force your neighbor to contribute to what you want is not the same as loving your neighbor. It's exercising authority one over the other. And, of course, that's what socialism does. And, of course, we see Rome going from a republic to a socialist state with free bread that they were able to give to the people because they took it away from somebody else. First, they took it away from the Gauls. They tried to take it away from the Teutons. They took it away from a lot of people that they conquered. They took it away from their political opponents because they confiscated their property. And then gave it away to the poor, and then the poor were willing to overlook their sins, the sins of the rich, which Ecclesiastes eventually talks about, where the rich are put in a low place 
but the poor are put in a high place. Why? Victim ideology. Same thing we're seeing today. But you may not equate it because they use a little bit different terms. So you have to not read between the lines, but go back sometimes to the original language. You don't have to go back to the original language. You could all just start eating of the tree of life and stop eating of the tree of knowledge. And then receive that divine revelation. But in order to do that, you have to get close enough to the tree to eat of it. And when you get close to the tree, you begin to realize, I've been going the wrong way. I don't really believe in what Christ said. I believe in an image of Christ that I have allowed men to create in my mind. And I worship the image of Jesus in my mind. I don't actually worship Jesus. Because if you actually loved Jesus, you would be doing what he says. And of course, James tells us this. You know, how how do you know? Well, you know by what they do. Are they coveting their neighbor's goods through men of exercise authority one over the other? Then they're not doing what Christ said. Are they willing to take a bite out of one another in order to fill their own bellies? Then they aren't doing what Christ said. No, no amount of electing kings over you will resolve that problem until you address the problem which is the fact the altars of Cain are what they call legal charity while the altars of Abel are what we should call today fervent charity. And that fervent charity is not just charity to those you love. Jesus warns you about the giving to those you love. Even the thieves and robbers, even the, you know, the publicans do that. But you have to cast your bread upon the waters. You have to be willing to give to those you don't even know. Because that's real sacrifice. And the more you do that real sacrifice, for the right reason, for the Spirit of God in you. You can't do it as a a ploy, because then it becomes witchcraft. The more you do that, the closer to the tree of life you can get. Because... The word Corbin comes from the word that means to draw near. Sacrifice of Christ will, in your life, where you lay down your life for your fellow man, draws you near to the tree of life. And when you get near to the tree of life, you will see your error, your sin, your stumbling block. But the world is trying to keep you from going that way. And they create all kinds of Institutions, machinery, uh, inventions, devices. There's a word that means all those different things. To keep you from seeing the truth and the way and the light. So anyway, let's just start reading through Ecclesiastes so we can get a little way through. It's not a real big long chapter, uh, but there are 17 verses in it. Uh, but it says, who is as wise as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. And the boldness of his face shall be changed. 
So, what do they mean by make it shine? Uh, you know, the, the, we'll see that word shine. It's actually translated in a couple of different ways. In the second verse, it goes, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandments, and that in regard of oaths of God. Okay, if you, you've given your word to do something, you know, if you give me these benefits, I will give you this percentage of my labor. If you will give me Social Security, I will give you a percentage of my labor. Originally, it was one and a half percent. Now it's up to, well, actually, totally 14% is and more uh, are you giving up your labor and other taxes as well. But you wanted this Social Security. Now, they wrote in their agreement that they don't have to guarantee your social welfare. They can stop giving you benefits and you will still owe the tax. And we show you that in the law. I'm sorry you didn't read it, but... I'm sorry your parents didn't read it. I'm sorry your grandparents didn't read it. But that's what it says there. But Jesus, they, the system of Corbin at the time of Jesus was a social welfare system. Now there was always a social welfare system as we just went over. The altars of Nisi that created by Moses, the altars of Abraham. These are social welfare systems to take care of the needy of your society in the practice of pure religion. But the social welfare system of the Pharisees, through the Corbin of the Pharisee, meaning sacrifice of the Pharisees, was legal charity. It was compelled offerings. Once you signed up, you had to pay in. And they had men to come about and make sure you paid in the right amount. And Jesus talks about this. He says, if you want to be a good servant, like my servants... You go to the person and say, well, what do you owe according to the agreement? Well, we owe, we owe this much. Can you pay that? No, I can't pay that. I don't have that much. Well, what can you pay? I can pay this much. Paid in full. That's the spirit of Christ's government. That's not the spirit of everybody else's government. Their, their governments, as a matter of fact, they're hiring more and more taskmasters, which they'll talk about in Ecclesiastes 11. But Jesus warns you, if you owe the tax, pay the tax. That that if you if you take the oath, keep the oath. There's another way out, another door. Because you have gone into bondage because you would not hear the cries of your brothers, just like the Israelites went into bondage because they would not hear the cries of Joseph when they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. So they went into bondage. So have you gone into bondage because you would not hear the cry of those people far off and take care of their needs. Instead, you went to men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority, which is the altar of Cain, the altar of Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord, instead of the Lord. He was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. But his provision was that table that David talks about that should have been for your welfare but was a snare. So you see this connection. I'm bringing all these different books and these different statements into this basic principle so that you you are allowed to change your thinking and think, well, if I really want my rights back, I have to take my responsibilities back. Verse 3, be not hasty to go out of his sight, the king. Everybody wants to get out of the system. 
but they're they're hasty to go out of his sight, to to go out of his system. And I, I point out so many times Moses did not take people to the edge of the desert one guy at a time and say, run for it, you're free. That that would have been hasty to go out of the sight of the Pharaoh. The people had to learn something. He says, stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. So we're to stand up and take care of one another, but not... By coveting our neighbor's goods. By creating an alternative to the welfare, what the, the tables of the men who exercise authority that should be for our welfare but is actually a snare. We create an alternative table, which is what Christ was doing, which rightly divided the bread from house to house, gave the reins of control to ministers again to divide that bread but the power to give was based on charity, not forced offering. If we do that, we will be on our way back to the liberty that God wishes for us. We will be on our way back to setting the captive free. We will be on our way back to returning every man to his family and every man to his possessions. But if you skip that element, he's advising you in, in, in chapter 8 not to do that. Not to go that way. So, verse 4. Where the word of the king is, there is power. There is power. And he actually has a word there. Chilton, uh, which is Aramaic word. Exercise power over something. But, of course, we wouldn't be in that position if our pastors had already told us that Jesus said we weren't to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. We would already be, we would still be free. But a hundred years ago, almost a hundred years ago, people began to close their eyes to the fact that we should not covet our neighbor's goods. We should not consent to coveting our neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. For our personal gain. We did it with public education. It wasn't that way originally. I was just talking to somebody last night. You could get a college education at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, in America, back in the early 1800s, no matter what your economic status was, if you could make the grade. If you could keep your grades up. It was in their charters. That you could go to those schools tuition free if you could not afford the tuition. And uh, they did maybe help you get work and maybe other people. Donors, individual alumni would support you. The school would support you. You didn't need to take out a student loan at interest. You would be expected, but not required by law, to become an alumni if you graduated. And of course now they have an incentive to make you graduate, become adept at whatever profession you're going into, whether it's law or science or whatever. They want you to become successful because as you become successful as alumni, you can donate back to the university, to the college. That's the way we used to do it. Somebody had a better idea. It was not so good. Not such a good idea. 
But he says the word of the king is power. They exercise authority. And that's what you've been going towards men who exercise authority. And you would not hear the cries of your neighbor when a widow's house was taken from her for taxes. You would not hear the cry. And that happens every day in America. Where people are oppressed economically. They have to sell their property. They can't afford the taxes. And you keep raising the taxes. Because you want more benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority. Which is contrary to the words of Christ which we've laid out for you. Matthew, Mark, Luke all said the same thing. Yet you tell me you're following Christ. That you believe in Christ. That's a delusion. You need to repent. Whoso keepeth the commandments shall feel no evil thing. The wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. So the wise man's heart can tell. But it has to have the Spirit of God dwelling in it. So how do we get that Spirit of that light in us? Well, we'll have to talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. After another brief break. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're we're going through this Ecclesiastes and we're seeing that he's talking about this idea of obeying the king, not going out of the presence of the king. But then so what are we supposed to do? What 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 should we be doing? The wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. In other words, the kingdom of God is in the moment. And God will reveal to you individually in the moment. You can't study a book. You can't study. You're back in the tree of knowledge if you're going to figure out, well, if I do this, then this will happen. If I do that, then that will happen. No, you have to be led in the moment by the Spirit of God that will tell you whether to go this way or to go that way. It will facilitate you. Now, a lot of people aren't going to believe that. And, And you probably shouldn't believe it because I say it. You're only going to believe it because you begin to do it. But you won't begin to do it unless you draw near to the tree of life. And you draw near the tree of life when you stop eating, you start fasting of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can study, but you don't study to show thyself approved. You be diligent to show thyself approved. That's the word there in the the actual Greek. To be diligent. Be diligent in what? In loving your neighbor as yourself. So you have to repent of the idea that the governments of the world are my salvation. And start realizing that I need to start actually doing what Christ said. Actually doing what Moses was teaching the people how to do. Which he was not teaching them how to pile up stone and burn up sheep. He was teaching them how to create a social safety net that created bonds in society where you would come to the aid of your neighbor or, you know, if if the nephew of your neighbor was in trouble and your neighbor went to, to you know, to get his, his nephew out of trouble, you might go and help him. You go with him. This is what happened with Abraham. He was building these altars with the people round about him. And then when there was an enemy that was kidnapping his son, not his son, his nephew, 
they, and he was taking 900 armed men from his own camp and family and, and entourage there. All the other men round about, they joined in too. Why? Because they burn up sheep together? No, because they had a system of social welfare that was based on charity. And that creates the social bonds that Dr. Malone has talked about, that Christ talks about, that fellowship. Because you don't just believe an idea. You, you, it's not about an ideology. It's actually, you're creating actual bonds, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, with these other people. Because you've created a social safety net that is based on sacrifice. And it draws you near each other, but it also draws you near the tree of life. And as you come near the tree of life, you can start receiving that divine inspiration. Like Agabus in the New Testament. Who stood up and said, there's a dearth coming. That there was trouble coming. And they started to make preparations. Just like Noah understood there was a flood coming. You know, in in comedy skit with uh, George Carlin, he makes it out like, you know, going to drown everybody in the world. All the women and children in the world. The flood was coming as a matter of law of nature. This is what Ecclesiastes is always talking. It rains on the just and unjust. And if it rains on the just and unjust, sometimes there's going to be floods. But the just, if they're hearing and listening and have the humility to listen to that divine revelation, they will know flood's coming. I need to get up on high ground. I know of several stories of people that were in the San Francisco earthquake way back in 1906. And all of a sudden, they just decided to go out of town that day. And they weren't in town when there was an earthquake. There, there was a guy who worked every day in Hiroshima. He was a workaholic. A lot of Japanese are workaholics. I mean, he, he showed up every day. All of a sudden, he decided, I'm not going. I'm not going to work today. And he walked over the hill and he went fishing. And when he came back, the city was gone. Why now did he was he led to go fishing by the Holy Spirit? I don't know, maybe it's just a coincidence. There's always going to be those seems seemingly a coincidence. But I, I, I can give you story after story where people missed their flight or decided that they were actually on the plane and they decided I'm getting off this plane and they got off the plane and the plane crashed and everybody died. But he survived. And 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 he couldn't tell you why he got off the plane. You know. And, and it's it's always a quandary. Why do some people know that? Now they, they will sometimes come up with rational explanations. And maybe that's just because they don't really want to believe that something else is guiding them. But in order for that thing to be the Holy Spirit, because there are other things out there that may guide you that may not be good. They may guide you into trouble. So, how do you get, you have to draw near to the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways to do that is sacrifice. And in the practice of pure religion, there is always sacrifice. 
practice of being a parent, there's always sacrifice. Being a friend, there's always a sacrifice. That you have to give up something for somebody else, for someone else. And it's easy to do for people you know, depending on who you know. But it's harder to do it for people you don't even know, which is where Ecclesiastes is going to cast your bread upon the waters. But right now we're dealing with this king thing. Because to every purpose there is a time and a judgment. Therefore, the misery of a man is great upon him. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be difficulties. But what's guiding you in your life? For he knoweth not that which shall be. For we can tell him when it shall be. There is no man that hath the power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he the power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. That war between life and death that we're all engaged in. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. What is wicked? The unrighteous mammon is wicked. That's why they call it unrighteous. What is unrighteous mammon? Mammon is entrusted wealth. And the Corban of the Pharisees created an unrighteous mammon. Where would you find that mammon, that entrusted wealth? In the treasury. Which is why the same word that we see Corban in the New Testament shows up in another verse, but they don't translate it Corban, they translate it treasury. But the actual word means sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because it was based on a system, a machinery, that forced the offerings of the people once they agreed to be a part of that system. You know how you got to be a part of that system? You went to one of the pharisaical rabbis or Levites because some Levites were Pharisees. Some Levites were Essenes. Some Levites were other political persuasions. Well, the Essenes did not, most of the Essenes would not eat at the table that was set by forced offerings. They would not join. They they were unregistered a lot of times. They were not a part of that system. But many of the Pharisees were a part of that system. So they had to pay in to that system. And when that that what they paid in was their sacrifice. And that was the sacrifice, the Corban of the Pharisees. But because it was forced now and not free will offering as Moses required, as Abraham practice as Jesus said it needed to be it made the word of God to none effect despite the fact you say you believe in Jesus we know you don't because you don't actually do what he says despite the fact you tell me you love Jesus but you're not doing what Jesus said now I admit they didn't tell you in your churches forgive them forgive yourself but repent and seek the kingdom of God which is a system it is operating by charity, which is love. Same word for charity, same word for love. 
So that's what you have to do. Now, the wickedness will not deliver you. The unrighteous mammon, the wages of unrighteousness, they will not deliver you. Now, recently we've seen that a lot of people were given extra unemployment because of COVID. And people actually, I know people who had jobs, were working in the woods cutting trees. And they quit. They all quit. I had ordered a, a, a truckload of logs and had them delivered here. And the guy who was delivering them, I says, well, you think we can get another load sometime? And he said, no, because all the cutters quit. I said, why they quit? Because they can make more on unemployment than they can by working in the woods. Because they raised, they made, they gave you an incentive not to work. And, and, and now I know the guy who owned the truck that delivered the logs sold the truck. Couldn't get guys to work in the woods. Because wickedness was paying people not to work. They had jobs. They made, gave them the incentive, and that's why people can't get people to go back to work. That's not going to be good. We already have the statistic I heard just the other day. 20% more people in the world today are starving to death. Not just going hungry. Starving to death than what was happening before COVID. So the shutdowns are now caused 20% more people to starve to death. Now, of course, many of those people are children. That's happening by the hundreds of thousands, millions of people today. 20% more people. That's a lot. But you don't know about it. You don't hear their cries. Your news people aren't going to tell you. They don't, they, they will play music rather than let you hear what's going on. But you heard it here because we're in the truth business. Not a lot of money in the truth business, but there soon won't be a, a lot of money in any business at the rate we're going. But the wicked, those who covet their neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority, they will not deliver you in that day. So, no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. The Holy Spirit list is where it will. You cannot make, you cannot do anything to make the Holy Spirit show you the way. You have to really repent. Verse 9, all this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. Now, do you want to rule over your neighbor? Do you want to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want for free? You want your student loans paid off? You you want to empower the tyrants of the world to force your neighbor to pay off your student loans? Then you will suffer tyranny. That is That is where you're going. Now, I can tell them that. How many will hear it? But what you need to ask is, where am I doing that? Where do I need to turn my thinking around, my head around, my heart around, and actually do what Christ said, what Christ commanded? So, verse 10 is in the section, those who fear God will do well. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done 
This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. It's like the man who jumped off the 50-story building. Around the 30th floor, he was heard as he went by the window saying, okay, so far. Because there's a delay. If he jumped off a 100-story building, the delay would be greater, but the recompense would be greater too. The end result would be the same. So we've gone this way with FDR. LBJ magnified it. But we were going the way even before FDR. And, and, you know, I was recommending last night that somebody read our article on Davy Crockett at Preparing You. They used to know in America, you can't covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. That used to be common knowledge in America. They would not vote for a candidate who would take from their neighbor to provide even good welfare for people that were really in need. He said, we can't do that. It will destroy us as a nation. They knew that back in the 1800s. But somewhere along the line, people forgot. Lady Godiva knew it a thousand years ago. She warned people. She never took off her clothes and rode through the streets naked. That never happened. That That's a fiction and a fraud. <laughs> that is a fiction and a fraud. <laughs> so, we need to Understand that if we want to have the enlightenment of God, we have to turn around and think a different way. That's what repentance is and go the other way. But just because the people haven't hit the sidewalk yet, it's coming up fast. When it comes into focus, it'll be all over. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged. Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. Which fear before him. So there are evil men. George Soros. Now maybe I'm not supposed to say he's evil. But that common consensus amongst a lot of people is that he is a very evil man. Noah Harari. Very successful. And you say well how do these... Bill Gates, you know, these are people that people condemn in the news all the time. Well, not in the news, but in the in, in the media, you know, he's a bad guy. Well, we're not to be cursing the darkness. We're not to be cursing the wicked. They are cursed to themselves. What we need to do is fear God and start doing what God said to do. And Christ said, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, love thy neighbor as thyself, care for one another. Don't eat at the tables of those that covet their neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. We weren't to be that way. Cursing the darkness doesn't fix anything. Pray for them that live in the darkness, that they come to the light. But pray you come to the light because it's the light that protects you from them that live in the darkness. They won't enter the light either. As long as they don't enter the light, you're safe if you're in the light. But they will try to tempt you out of the light with false religion. 
but it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Now, prolong his days? Well, he might live to be a hundred. He might live to be a hundred and twenty. It's just what, you know, did he jump off a hundred story building or a fifty story building? He's not prolonging it. It's not delayed. It's just that it has to carry out all the consequences. Verse 14, there is vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. The wicked people hurt just men. I mean, Jesus was a just man. They crucified him. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So there are men out there who are trying to punish the wicked, you know, cursing the darkness, you know. And I, this is one of the things that I tell you, that's just another aspect of your, your justice system, your government justice system. It isn't, uh, it, it, it isn't for the purposes of punishing the wicked. It should not be for the purposes of punishing the wicked. We're tempted to do it that way. It, it should be only to protect the innocent from the incorrigible criminal. And maybe give somebody time out. You know, that's what we used to, uh, for our kids. Now we, we never, well, I guess occasionally we did send a kid to his room, but, uh, and occasionally I, I told them they had to stay on their bed, you know, and uh, there's a funny story where one was told to stay on his bed and he stayed on the bed, but he put one foot on the floor. <laughs> and I said, I see that foot on the floor. I will let that go because you're still on the bed. But that, that's rebellion. That's what you, you don't want to be under the authority of your father. So you're going to put one foot on the floor. I'm still on the bed, but my foot is on the floor. <laughs> but I left him to contemplate that. It was the time out that they're out of control and they needed a time out to think things over. And so you give them the way to do it. One of the ways we do it when the child is really little is we hold them. We just, we take them into our arms and we hold them and say, well, you're, you know, you can, or we do the beaver trap thing. You've heard me talk about that, where you hold him by his ankle and you take him on the bed, and, and he flops around and he wants to get away, but he, he doesn't hurt him. But you're taking the time out that, so that he learns to take a time out, because he has to deal with the, you know, the hormones. You know, when terrible twos or when he's seven, or if he's still throwing fits by seven, but. But he has to come to grips with that himself and he may need help doing it. And so that's what your prisons should be. But you need, you need prison guards with, filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we used to build our prisons with, with charity. Did you know that? We not only built hospitals and mental institutions with charitable contributions. And schools with charitable contributions. But we also built libraries. And we built prisons. 
with charitable contributions. Now, it wasn't easy in prison. It's not supposed to be. But it's your time out. So you can get your act together and hopefully not want to come back. Probably the last thing they need is a a computer screen at the foot of their bed so they can idle away their time, which Ecclesiastes also talks about being idle. So, verse 15, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life. But now, if he's eating and drinking and being married with somebody else's labor, like those men who were on unemployment, who chose to quit their job and go on unemployment, because they could get more money on unemployment than they could get working in the woods, their hearts were, their, their conscience was seared. Because that money doesn't come from the government. It comes by way of the government, by way of men who exercise authority one over the other. But it comes from their neighbor. And they fail to see that. They close their eyes to that. The problem is, is that when you close your eyes to the truth, you can't see the rest of the truth. You, you, you actually have to live in darkness. So, you know, that's where they get, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. Because he clearly saying that death is coming. It is the war that we all fight against, but it comes. But he says, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life. So if you work hard, you should take some time off and rest and, and enjoy But you have to work first, which is keeping the Sabbath. Work six days, then take your time off. Don't borrow against the future so that you you have your party today and then you say, well, tomorrow I'll I'll do the work. No, you don't want to do that. 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, my heart to know wisdom, not to know the wisdom of God, and to see the business that is done upon the earth, all these activities that we see in the news and, and don't see in the news but are going on every day, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. Why do you sleep with your eyes? Why does he say sleep with your eyes? Well, the the answer to verse 16 may be seen by simply reading it literally. The verse ends with the words, "His with his eyes one sees. So, normally the letters Bav, Biet, Lamad, Yad, Lamad, Hey, they're, they're adding the extra Bav, Biet, Hey's in that word, are translated and in, in the night, as we see where it 
also occurs in Job 24.14, Psalms 42.8, and Genesis 1.18. But the translators put it in parentheses. Why did they do that? Why did they put it in parentheses? The word sleep is another word that we can look at. But we'll have to look at that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. So we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, I found the error on the page during the breakout, so I had a little code in there that I didn't need to put in. Uh, and it was in this area of this verse 16, which I, I write a great deal about, and I actually quote, because they struggle with this. Uh, when I went through and read every commentary I could find on, on these particular verses, uh, and uh, Cambridge Bible uh, for schools and colleges, uh, you quote Cicero, and I, I won't attempt to read the uh, Latin, but he says he was a wonderful vigilance who did not sleep during his entire councilship. So this idea of not sleeping, not having the, uh, the your eyes don't sleep, uh, can have that idea. But it's actually even with, because there's idioms in, in the Latin, that they're really talking about more. He's not just talking about not sleeping, but he was being very diligent in perceiving what was going on, what the problems were, and attending to those problems. And the pulpit commentary seems to suggest that this confusion comes in part because of the chapter break in Ecclesiastes 9 is misleading because they don't think that there should be this chapter break. And then they struggle with the Septuagint and the Vulgate. The Septuagint is a, a Greek translation uh, before before Christ. And the Vulgate, of course, is when they start, start dealing with uh, others like in uh, uh, by looking at different uh, verses with uh, Cicero and and other deals. And I actually went and looked up the original uh, Latin for Cicero and read the text of that to see the context of why they pulled these quotes up. But the reason they're digging in all these other ancient scripts is because they're trying to make sense out of this, these verses. Because, and this is part of the reason why we have this problem today, is that they don't want to go where where Ecclesiastes is actually telling us to go. So they they create this uh, parenthetical phrase and they get everybody trying to figure out uh, what is going on. The, the parenthetical clause expressing either the restless, unrelieved labor that goes on in the world or the sleepless meditation of one who tries to solve the problem of the order and disorder of the world. So, is that really what it's all about? Uh, and like I say, the pulpit commentaries, that man's wisdom is incapable of explaining the course of God's providential government. In other words, 
our right reason. That's what the law of nature is, which is also divine will. This is why we I did the whole series on the law of nature, divine will, the will of God, and right reason are convertible phrases. They're all referring to the same thing. And that thing that they're referring to is not subject to the legislature. It's not subject to my opinion. It's not even subject to the Pope or or uh, Billy Graham or anybody else. It It is... It is the unmoved mover is outside of our ability to change it. Our opinion doesn't change it. Our legislation doesn't change it. Our rulemaking doesn't change it. It still exists. There's no way around it. And just like, you know, death waits for us all who eat of the tree of knowledge. But if you eat of the tree of life, it's not called the tree of life for nothing. There's a reason. So the answer to 16 is is caught up in this. Uh, no one sees that idea. Of no sleep to my eyes. Sleep with my eyes. It's it's those people who cannot see, no matter what. And that's why I give you Job 24 and Psalms 42:8, and you can go look up all these. Uh, but here the translator in this. Uh, parenthetical phrase inside these parentheses, what he's really talking about. If you look only with your eyes and your wisdom, not with the divine revelation of God, but with your own wisdom, your own heart, your own feelings, that no one will see. You won't see. Because he was just saying earlier in this chapter about you can't control the spirit. And the Spirit is what gives you the information. The Spirit is what gives you life. The Spirit is what gives you form. The Spirit is what guides you. The Spirit is not blind. If you're not led by the Spirit, you're led by the blind. Those who do not see. And you will both fall into a pit. And those of you who said that legal charity is okay, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government, you've led the people astray. You led them into iniquity. You led them down the false way. Not the way of Christ. That's how you know who's going the way of Christ. And I've seen that with people who are in the system that, you know, have all the numbers, go go to work. But they say, well, I don't want that benefit. But those, evidently, those loggers who said, well, wait a minute, I can make $20 more a week. I don't know how much it was. It might have been $100 it wasn't a lot more than what they were making. But I don't have to go in the woods. I don't have to drive there. I don't have to wear out my clothes. I don't have to break my back. I can get the money and I can just stay home. And and this is when I heard from the hardware stores that they sold out all their paint. They never had such a run on paint. They couldn't figure why. Because everybody was home. They weren't going to work. And their wives said, well, let's paint the bedroom now. Let's paint the living room. And so they're selling out of paint and home repairs and everybody was, cause they're still working men, but, but they couldn't have done that. If there wasn't rulers who exercised authority one over the other saying, we will give you money for not working. And they went that way. And that is the way of righteousness. That is the way of God. It's gonna, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to the kingdom of heaven. That was the wrong direction. Rome fell. The unrighteous mammon 
is not going to, if it fails, it's when it fails. But don't go out of the presence of the king. Don't be hasty to go out of the presence of the king. That, you know, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. But, like they did in Egypt, glean in the field at night for your straw, for your benefits. In other words, do the overtime. Start learning to care about one another. And how you do that is you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded his apostles to require the people to do. So that the people can efficiently take care of one another in time of need. To create that alternative table. Where you can rightly divide the bread from house to house in the time of need. Because that time of need is coming. Verse 17. When I beheld all the works of God. That a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. You can't see what all is going on. You certainly can't see if you, if you're watching the news. And you can go and study all the conspiracy theories. And I was talking to my daughter about a lot of particular type of conspiracy theory. And I, I was said I was looking at what these guys are saying and what these guys were saying. What these guys, she didn't have any time for any of it. She's, she thought, but I was saying, it, it, I, ultimately, I know, but this is kind of my job, is I have to go out and find the knowledge, lay out the knowledge, and give you the knowledge, because I know you lack knowledge, but what you really lack is the Holy Spirit. But if you're starting to listen to what I'm saying, you're saying, well, you know, that makes sense. Well, if it's making sense to you, it's probably because your eyes are at least a little bit open. <laughs> you know? you're, you're, you're waking up. From your wokeness. That's, that's the, the other thing is, you know, just like I said that they, they, they do all this stuff and the transgender thing and they elevate the rights of the man in the woman's locker room and decrease the rights of the woman in the woman's locker room. So the woman's locker room is now the dominion of a man. <laughs> and they call that equality. It's the reverse. Everything they do is the opposite. It's they, They're turning the world back upside down again. The Christians were accused of turning the world upside down. But it just seemed that way because they were turning the world right side up. Which we will see later on in Ecclesiastes where he talks about princes that walk in, in this trouble. And, and, and kings have horses. What, what, what is he talking about? Well, where else do they talk about kings having horses? Uh, in Deuteronomy 17. So you can go to preparing you and look up Deuteronomy 17. Because that's what we talk about in contracts, covenants, and constitutions. Is the Bible tells you what to put in your constitution. And if you didn't put it in there, there could be problems. But anyway, let's go back to 17. Then I beheld all the works of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. You can't figure it all out. Even if you're a genius. You cannot figure it all out. Some can figure more. Some can figure less. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Because you don't find it with the wisdom of men. 
you find it with the revelation of God. And the revelation of God says to love thy neighbor as thyself. And to do that through charity, not through force, is, is the, is the wisdom of God. It is the way. It is the way of righteousness. So, like I said in one commentary, it said there shouldn't be a chapter break. And of course there isn't a chapter break in the original text. These chapter breaks they put in, a lot of the punctuation is not in the original text. The parentheses is not in the original text. But they, they're struggling to translate it with the knowledge that they have. I'm sure there were some men who would receive, that's the thing about inspiration. You could be inspired one moment, the next moment you're not. Which is really kind of the theme of this whole chapter. Is that there's a time for everything. And, and there's a time for judgment. And so the rich man who is a scoundrel can get away with it seemingly for a long time. But what you want to know is what God wants you to do. I'm thinking of a guy who's called in on the afternoon show a couple of times. That, that he always has this quandary. And, and he, he feels this pressure from, you know, of course, to some degree, the needs of his family, the community, and what other people are saying and everything. But he wants to know, how do I know what to do? Well, that is only told to you in the moment by the Holy Spirit. That's one thing. The Holy Spirit may prepare you for the future, but a lot of times doesn't tell you how to prepare for the future. He's guiding you to prepare for the future. But, you know, you're, you're sitting there trying to rationalize, well, why don't I want to go? Why do I want to go fishing today? The, the sun is shining and everything and work will be good and I need to do my work. And But for some reason I want to go fishing today. He didn't know anything about the Enola Gay coming to Hiroshima. I knew somebody who was in the explosion. My next door neighbor was in Hiroshima when the bomb dropped. Uh, she was a little girl or a young girl. And uh yeah, that that was an interesting conversation when I when she told me I'm from Hiroshima, and I said, "Oh, were you there when?" The <laughs> so there was somebody who got up and left town that day. Something he never did, and wasn't there when it dropped. But you you could be saved just by going around a corner. There were people who were, were, uh, you know, there and they looked around the corner. Somebody else was standing behind them. And the person who looked around the corner, their face was burned off and they ended up dying. Because they, they, they got the front of the flash. But the other one was a couple of feet back behind a brick building, or a stone building, I don't know if it's brick or stone, but it was a substantial building. It was a little far away from the epicenter. But uh, he was not hurt. Uh, he was not burned. But the one who stuck his head around the corner reminds me of, you know, Fort Ticonderoga. We took the whole fort during the American Revolution and nobody died. And, and we stole all the cannons and we stole all the gunpowder we could carry and all the muskets and the armory and everything. We cleaned them out. Uh, I say stole, confiscated it, military operation. But there was one cannon that was so big that was used to shoot out on the lake. And they couldn't move it. It was too big to move. 
So they filled it full of gunpowder and they stuffed all kinds of mud and everything down the barrel and everything and they set it off and hoped to blow it up. And I guess they did damage it so that it couldn't be used. One guy stuck his head around the corner because, you know, the fuse was taking a little while to burn. Now, nobody wanted to be near it when it went off. You're not standing there lighting it with a short fuse. But the one guy who stuck his head around the corner looked around the building. He died. That was the only casualty. So, uh, how do you know, should I look around the corner? <laughs> should I not look around the corner? Should I go left? Should I go right? You can't read the Bible and know those answers. We can read the Bible and know the principles. But to know what you need to do in this moment, each day, you need the Holy Spirit. In order to hear the Holy Spirit, you need to draw near it. So you need to be still. You need to fast from the tree of knowledge. Fast from your own personal calculating intellect. Your own ambitions, your desires. And wait upon the Lord until he gives you something that seems right to eat. And you may be wrong. But be willing to admit that you're wrong throughout the day. And you say, well, I think I made a wrong turn. I think I need to go back. You need to constantly, every moment, be in constant state of prayer to know what God wants you to do. So that's why at Preparing You, we teach a meditation that will help you exercise that ability to be still. But you have to really be still. It is, it is your respect of God, your fear of God, that realizes that you're not God. No matter how much knowledge you get, you're not going to become God. You may be like God, but you're not going to be God. And you can't know what's coming. We had a conversation last night. I said, so what do you think is coming? Basically, it comes down to we don't know. (laughs) We know bad things are coming. That's pretty easy. But that, Ecclesiastes is telling us all the time. Bad things always are coming. Sometimes worse things are coming than came yesterday. And certainly that that would be a good guess. But maybe good things will come for you. But you have to be seeking out the righteousness of God. And that's why the message of the gospel is to repent. Think differently. And to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And everything else will be filled in. Moment by moment. Day by day. And we will still have that battle with death. We will still have to face hard times. But those who fear God, that's what he says, it, it, it will be well with. It won't be always comfortable. But the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And, and that comfort, that willingness to see and to know and do what is right in each given moment and willing to see the the selfishness and the wrongness and the uh, sloth in our own hearts. See, I have no idea those two loggers who went on unemployment instead of work in the woods, they had to have come to some struggles like, should I be doing this? But I don't know those men. But I, I can imagine men who would 
do something like that. And then when they see inflation eating away and all the money they got for free is now gone out of their savings because inflation is coming and coming and coming and slow down in economies and everything. And they're just receiving the consequences of jumping off the building, of going down the wrong path. If you go down the wrong path, the way back is to go back the way you came. But in the opposite direction, if you went down the 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 path of slothfulness, you need to be diligent in your doing. If you went down the the path of coveting your neighbor's goods, I wanted to have unemployment at the expense of my neighbor, then you you're going to have to sit down and start to sacrifice for the well being of your neighbor. You have to do the reverse. Yeah, it, it the way back is the opposite of what you did to get to where you're going. And where you're going now is the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. We can look back in history for those of you who know history and know that's where we're going. That all the same things. That's why I have so many, we have an article, Rome, at Preparing You, show you the parallels. But I'm trying to bring you in this story of Ecclesiastes. And of course, we're, we're going to be going on to chapter 9, which according to the one commentary, we should not even have a, a chapter break. Chapter 9 should be a contiguous part of chapter 8. And of course, they're all, all the chapters are complementary to each other. I've been putting together an outline with the headings that I'm putting in so that we can go over that real quick in summary. Uh, I'm not necessarily putting the summary on every chapter. But the Song of Fools, which we studied in chapter 7, and the Sacrifice of Fools, which is the legal charity that everybody in every country today is now predominant legal charity. You know, forced charity by men who exercise authority. That's the Song of Fools. It's not the Song of the Lamb. The Song of the Lamb is the Corbin of Christ. And the Corbin of Christ is the sacrifice through charity. To take care of all the social welfare for your community. And I know most of the communities that you live in are not going to go this way. But that's why you have to create a mobile community of your own. By sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And it wasn't my idea. It was Christ's idea. And they were doing it in early America because they confronted the the wilderness. And, And they still had a recollection of the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that when, you know, Paul Revere was making his ride, he didn't have to go and tell everybody. And he wasn't the only one making that ride. He would tell supposedly ten guys and then they would go and tell ten guys. And then they would tell ten guys and ten guys. And so everybody showed up. You don't have that network anymore. And, and what cements that network together? It's a network of charity. Because the, the tithing men early America were a part of that system of taking care of the needy of their society. Because there was no other social welfare by the state. That wouldn't come for hundreds of years. And people like Davy Crockett spoke against it. Because he was disciplined by the people, his constituency. And see, every congregation is a free assembly. And every minister should be disciplined by his congregation. And by the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. But in order to hear that Holy Spirit, we have to sacrifice, we have to set aside our pride, our vanity, because all is vanity, and be willing to see we got it wrong before, 
But now we have a little bit better idea of the direction we need to go. Because we've, we've, we have found Babylon. But to come out, we need to get Babylon out of our own hearts. And if we don't address that, no other solution will be our salvation. We need to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because there is no other way but that way of righteousness that will lead us to where we need to go. So, in chapter 9, we're going to look at death comes to us all. I, that's That's been a common theme, that difficulties come. But he talks about the heart of man is evil and madness. And they often have these words madness and folly connected with one another. And we see down there in the third section where it says wisdom better than folly. But whose wisdom? My wisdom out of my own heart or God's wisdom? And then better than folly. And this folly has to do with snares and nets. They talk about the snares and nets. Just like we we talked about the woman whose heart is a snare. All of a sudden that just pops up in the text. The woman whose heart is a snare. And of course, like we've said, it's the same word for uh, strange fire could be translated strange woman because they are basically the same words. You want to end up being the wise man who hears in quiet, which takes us back to the meditation. But we'll do chapter 9 when we come back to the keys to the kingdom next week. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.